Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, welcome to another Drive Time show on Monday, the 13th of November. Uh, I'm your host, Adal Rahman, with my brother. Imran Akram. Imran Akram. And how are you, brother? How is the how's how's your time off been or how's how's time off been without me here? <laughs> In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, peace be upon to you all. And we are live here in the in the studio from Battle Futu Mosque. Um, yeah, definitely. I think um, uh, it's a good uh, to have different people. But of course, um, when you do show with uh, you know uh, with continuously, yeah. uh, as we have in in the past uh, two three weeks weeks before, uh, then you develop an understanding, yeah. and then you know how to do you know, how to you know um, uh, go some f- sort of chemistry to like build on a definitely, you know, and it's very important yeah. when you're doing the show. So what what if what what has been the uh, you know talk of the town recently what if what have you come across anything i definitely i would say um israel and palestine conf- conflict yeah. um especially uh, this is it's very disheartening to yeah. see people you know uh, innocent people of gaza and this, uh, you know the, the protests um, mm. in london all across the world um, you know you see that the people are voicing their concerns about this and most importantly we we care for the um you know, for the loss of life, uh, innocent life is, um, you know, it's it's it is it is um, a real shame, and we always pray that you know this uh, this a situation of peace prevails definitely um, as soon as possible mm. all over the the globe, and there is some you know some sort of satisfaction within the people. Mm. Um, not satisfaction, I mean, you know, they want this to end this 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 time of like, you know, sadness mm. and sorrow needs to end soon. Um, and also, um, you know, have you been keeping in touch with uh, cricket, for instance? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, unfortunately, I'm, I'm a fan of Pakistan. Yeah, uh, Pakistan unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, they always break the heart of yeah, the of cricket, uh, yeah, of their cricket fan. And, but, um, um, yeah, uh, but I think uh, the teams now in the final is uh, South Africa, yeah. uh, India, um, and Australia and so New Zealand. Who are you pipping to win it? I think um, I would say India is the best team yeah. because they ha- hasn't lost any any match. So India deserve to. No, win they don't. The they don't want to lose any match now, do they? <laughs> 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 they would have liked to have lost that one game somewhere and then say, okay, well we've yeah. we've got that out of the system. Yeah. Well, now it's two games. Um, yeah. They've got their. I think they've. It's one of their most difficult sort of. Mm-hmm. Opponents in New Zealand in a in a knockout. So yeah, I remember the last um, semi final. Yeah, they're, they're looking for revenge now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, w- what are we discussing today? What's the um, you know w- what's going to be I the think, subject of discussion? I think uh, in in the t- in the next two hours we'll be discuss- discussing um, two very current topic. Um, in the first hour we'll be discussing about uh, vaping crisis yeah. in the in the UK especially. And uh, the rise of concern. Um, teenagers are using it. Yeah. What is the harm of uh, vaping? And uh, uh, what is the you know, uh, what's the Islamic stance yeah. on it? 
and in the in the in the in the second hour we'll be discussing about Ibn Rushd, Ibn Rushd. who is the Islamic uh, philosopher from the Andalusian period of time yeah. and who is known uh, from his work um he write um commentaries on Aristotle work yeah. and um he's uh, one of the most famous Islamic scholar so please do call us um if you would like to um discuss on this topic uh, the number is 0208678778 and you can also tweet us at voice of islam uk yeah you can and um let's come come to this uh you know you started off with the 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 in your intro mm-hmm. uh, in regards to vaping you said that this is something which is uh you've seen commonly with the teenagers in, in the UK i would say that it's not just the teenagers but it's become like you know this uh substitute to mm-hmm. um to smoking mm-hmm. okay so um i was recently in germany uh i thought that the culture in germany wasn't exactly towards vaping but it was more in towards actual cigarettes okay so mm-hmm. hardcore cigarettes um and vaping was probably on the rise whereas in england i think the culture f- in general in regards mm-hmm. to cigarettes or smoking definitely is um is is maybe at on a decline mm-hmm. but the you know this um this culture of vaping mm-hmm. um you know e-cigarettes as some mm-hmm. would call them or even like you know, you know these pocket shishas okay mm-hmm. you know they're mm-hmm. they they're that's what some some could even consider them to be mm-hmm. they're the pocket size shishas which are uh, i don't know is, is, is there a difference li- between the shishas and, and e-cigarettes um i i don't exactly know the mm. uh, the way the you know the what's the what what is what's in shisha mm. and how shisha what shisha is a bit more i think it's a bit um more it requires con- a lot more uh com- it's it's made in a more you know you have to mm. heat it up and stuff okay okay this is you know vape itself is something you just buy okay it doesn't require any specific so it's got these mm. uh, already mm-hmm. um mon- um it has like the it's already electrified yeah. uh, inside uh, so it doesn't need to necessarily be heated mm-hmm. up uh, the way shisha is okay but mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's actually it's actually a much less capacity but that's what i understand okay. i'm not i'm not an expert in these things but okay. um yeah so um allah commands muslims in the holy quran oh ye who believe wine and the game of chance are only an ob- uh, abomination of satan's handiwork so shun each of them that you may prosper satan seeks only to create enmity and hatred amongst uh, among you by means of wine and games of chance and to keep you back from the remembrance of allah and from prayer so this is from surah uh, this is from the holy quran um and the theme of the mm-hmm. verse itself is more in it's 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 actually more in in line with uh, you know alcohol uh, and alcohol no. intoxication through mm-hmm. alcohol but i guess that the um you know ex- bringing it to or tying it with this theme Definitely. i think i think it's like if you look to towards uh, islam it's always tells you tells you that prevention is better than cure yeah so i think um uh, what this verse is explaining that any kind of intoxication whether mm. it can be alcohol or cigarettes or any kind of yeah. intoxicant it is harmful for you yeah. because it basically separates you yeah. from the from allah the almighty and uh, it is the handiwork of the satan satan yeah so it it, in, it uh, drives you towards the evil so um it, it, there's argument that you know the vaping is less harmful mm-hmm. compared to other you know cigarettes and we, other we don't really know because vaping really, is yeah. vaping is something which is quite um is i would i, I don't think this was existent mm. 
15 years ago so you could see the results of Definitely, it now okay yeah. it's 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 a new a uh, new phenomena you could say yeah. um and you will probably see the results of it mm. uh and its harms mm. um and you know people who've been doing it extensively mm-hmm. how it's harmed them yeah. uh maybe in 10 to 15 years if they continuously do it or um you know if they're doing it so bad mm-hmm. so much that uh, it, it will harm some sort of Definitely organ ob- or their throat or something mm-hmm. like that you're absolutely right because the the first um uh, vaping um um instrument pen mm. was uh, was basically introduced in 2003 mm. so i think it's, it's been only 20 years so we don't know the harm of this uh, of e-cigarettes yeah. so you you are, yeah. there are you know it it is uh, i i've i've come across mm-hmm. i don't know if they're real or not or mm-hmm. you know if people are just trying to look for some sort of clout on on social media but mm-hmm. i've seen you know videos which um show people who have been uh, harmed mm-hmm. uh, mainly through their mainly in their throats okay. because of vaping um, okay. so so yes there is this uh, element of harm mm-hmm. then there is also this element of which in 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 regards mm-hmm. to this verse uh, it, the element of um intoxicating of the mind huh. okay yeah. Um so this is someone who who would know uh, who would actually you know if if you if you've done any of these things uh, you would th- only th- they would understand mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. that how stuff like this uh, which obviously isn't great for your body mm-hmm. uh, why why do you tend to do it why is mm-hmm. it you know you know that this is a harmful thing why would you tend to do it mm-hmm. oh it's because it gives you some sort of satisfaction uh, or satisfaction mm-hmm. in 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 the mind mm-hmm. okay in in your head or changes your um your your way of thinking mm-hmm. so that that then uh, as this verse indicates you know mm-hmm. if it's from a small and and also from mm-hmm. narration um you know narrations from the prophet system um small forms of intoxicants which can, uh, which which are maybe at a very small mm-hmm. um level mm-hmm. if taken in a much bigger mm-hmm. uh, amount they can lead to um you know a an alteration of the mind and mm-hmm. leading to um um you know leading to B- big, bigger, bigger bigger drugs and bigger, so bigger. moving with our mm. um program mm-hmm. uh, for today we have our first guest uh John Foster who is the policy manager at Asthma Plus Lung UK um so let's take John Foster now Hi, nice to be with you. Uh, hi John, uh really nice to have you as well. So, I don't know if you've been uh in you've been listening to our, you know, pre-discussion on the subject. We're not experts. Uh we 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 therefore require your expertise on uh, such a subject. Um could you tell the listeners about the Asthma and Lung Charity uh, uh, and the sorry, the Asthma and the Lung Charity? What is your role? Uh yes, um So Asthma Lung UK we're the UK's largest lung charity. Um actually been around for for a long time. Um but we're the result of a merger. So Asthma UK and the British Lung Foundation came together um a few years ago and, and we've been under our new our new um brand for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um so we're there for everyone with a lung condition. If you look on our website there's lots of advice there. We've got a helpline. Uh you know we promote research and investment into lung conditions and we do a lot of sort of campaigning and political work which is where where I fit in. Um <clears throat> so I do a lot of w- work with NHS England and also within with regional parts of the NHS to improve respiratory care to improve care for those with lung conditions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that involves a lot of working with clinicians to identify best practice and kind of sharing and promoting that 
Mm-hmm. We also, you know, we're a patient charity, so we're here to, to champion the patient's voice and we do lots of surveys, lots of work with patients to understand what life is like with them and what their experience of, you know, the NHS, if you have a lung condition, what that is like. And again, we use that to push um, push for, for, for changes and improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of that involves uh, both with the NHS, but then going to Parliament, our government departments, flying the flag, building the chase for case, case of change, um, and and you know, putting evidence and sort of and numbers to why we want to see improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, John, recently, especially after the COVID or during the COVID, we have uh, seen an increase uh, of using the uh, vaping, especially in the youngsters, teenagers. Uh, what's your thought on it? Yeah, so there has been an increase. Um, at the moment, around seven, seven and a half percent of under 18s report being a current vapor, so they vape, vape regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, about 20% report having tried vaping at some point. Okay. Um, so, and, and that is a, an increase, I think, the previous year it had been about 15, 16% had, um, wow. and, uh, had, 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 tried, had tried vaping at some point and this has gone up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a cause for concern. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the media is probably, blow, you know, flagged it up a bit more than than that it might be sort of warranted mm-hmm. but def- definitely is a concern and we definitely need to do do more the government needs to do more to stop it getting uh to stop the under 18s uh vaping it's sort of increasing mm-hmm. and it's already you know worth pointing out that it, it, if you're under 18 you shouldn't be able to get your hand on a vape at all mm-hmm. uh, already so clearly something isn't working with the current um enforcement uh enforcement laws and more is needed to be done to to stop this um uh this this increased under 18 from going any do further. you not think john uh, it's because um you know a lot of these kids I, i've actually seen this myself um you know a lot of these kids are just hanging outside of these like news agents and stuff right and um the news agent or the person who's running the shop, they know that these kids are, you know, they're trying to buy these vapes. And um, they send, they tend to, like, you know, stop people on the way, like adults, and uh, are asking them to buy it on their behalf. And some of them become successful, others mm-hmm. don't. So, um, you know, it's it, it, the, 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 you know, the, the, the news agent, uh, the person who's uh, selling them, you know, he can't say no to an adult, but in <laughs> they know that this That's- is... Definitely part of the definitely yeah. part of the So that using a technical term, that's a proxy sale, yeah. getting someone to buy buy that for you. Uh, and again, that that should not be allowed yeah. uh, under the current guidelines. Um, but it, uh, there are, there are misconceptions um, around around vaping in terms of its impact, etc. Um, but a lot of that comes down to where you start. Because mm. if you are if you're a smoker, then transitioning onto vaping is a step in the right direction. Because um, vaping, well, there are things we don't know because they haven't been around for that long, so there isn't there isn't the kind of the body of long term yeah. evidence. But <clears throat> all of the best estimates, the best guesses, all the, the science tells us at the moment is it is much much less risky for your health mm-hmm. than tobacco. Because <clears throat> we all know the story of tobacco. No need to repeat that. But if you're stepping <clears throat> from tobacco to vaping. It's a step in the right direction, yeah. and vaping is very is an effective tool to help people quit tobacco completely. So, the advice we would give to people: if you smoke, then transitioning to vaping is a step in the right direction, and we for the best thing for your lungs would also be over time to then quit vaping entirely. Because yeah. the best thing for your lungs is just good good clean air. Yeah. But if you don't smoke then our advice is definitely don't tar- start vaping yeah. because it may be less risky than smoking, but it's still it's still not 
not, you know, not good for your lungs is, is yep. good fresh, clean air. Um, and there are lots of things that we don't know about some of the flavours and the chemicals, etc. So, um, so, and unfortunately, some of the, the nuances and these messages, you know, ha- haven't got out there. Mm. And clearly, there are a lot of under 18s, a lot of people who are uh, start, you know, might might think about trying vaping and maybe don't quite understand. They it may be here that it is it's not as bad as smoking and therefore they sort of stop listening. Well, actually, yeah. there's a lot more, there's more messages that need to be considered um, past that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just touching on that, vaping is known to help give up smoking, as you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think people have the correct knowledge about the use of vapes? Well, no, I think there's much more that can be done to sort of help people take a sort of educated view as i said for those who smoke it's a different conversation and there's actually a lot of confusion so a poll done by ash recently um came up with four in ten smokers think that vaping is as risky for your health or perhaps even more risky than tobacco which is absolutely not the case and so so for that group of people the messaging needs to be really clear that, that vaping is a step in the right direction um, and the government have recently put in more money to, to, to sort of swap to stop um, campaign to try and encourage smokers to change onto vaping. So that is a good thing. But for the rest of the population who are non-smokers, there's, there's a, there is a need to educate and, and make sure that people know that starting vaping from if you don't smoke is a step in the wrong direction. And that is, you know, we don't quite know the long-term effects, but it's almost certainly not a good idea for your lung health to go from not vaping towards vaping. Um, so there are there are kind of two sides to the conversation, but certainly there is a lot more to be done to sort of help educate and inform people in both those directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, John, <clears throat> definitely, um, as you talk about, that it's less harmful than, than the cigarettes, uh, but they are now... Um, E companies, sorry, uh, e cigarette companies, they're sending their products to the children, um, and um, uh, there were wide confidence that uh, intervals that between nine thousand to thirty eight thousand children in Great Britain um, they receive these kind of products, pro- products sent by the e companies. So uh, they're, they're promoting it in a way that it is uh, not really you know harmful for you, but um, again. Uh, for the for the children who are, or teenagers who don't um, you know uh, do cigarettes, uh, now they are on the uh, using wipes. Yeah, no, I, there, there's a, a lot of change needed, hmm. um, and some of the tactics used by the um, the vaping e-cigarette companies um, are pretty blatantly designed, uh, hmm. in my view, to attract children um, hmm. and to, to start them start them vaping, which is completely unacceptable. And you know it. it as, as I've said a number of times, it should be uh, absolutely the case that under 18 can't get their hands on um, on vapes. And it should mm-hmm. also be, and there is a consultation to change at the moment, mm-hmm. to, you know, stop advertising and marketing and promotion um, uh, methods which appeal to children. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to see action on price, and the government have said they're looking at introducing a duty, you know, a type of tax for paying okay. on cigarettes so that would because some of these vapes you can get them for you know three pound fifty four pound or whatever and you can get them with you know buy one get one free and all this kind of thing and it the lower the price the easier it is for a for an under 18 to get their hands on it so mm-hmm. increasing the price um you know to whether it's 10 pound of vape or I don't, the, the details haven't out there but if, if that happens that will certainly be a step in the right direction mm-hmm. um 
a lot that is needed in terms of flavours because you know 70% odd of the flavours on the market are, uh, are sort of fruits and, and sweet flavours you know bubblegum flavour it seems to me that's pretty obviously going to appeal to to, an, to to a child much more than it is to, to an adult mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. so we maybe need some flavours um, like a limited range for, for people who want to stop smoking and from that that perspective um, but we certainly you know watermelon and bubblegum etc I think you know overwhelmingly seem to appeal to children the same with the colors and the packaging and you know the the, the sort of appeal that the um, a lot of vapes have um, you know very very similar kind of colors and marketing as, and packaging as you'd find on on sweets mm. um, which again I think is, is very likely to appeal to under 18s mm. and like their placement you know in the shop etc um, big big restrictions needed there and the government to be fair to them there is a consultation at the moment, and they are considering these things. So, I mean, the consultation ends on the sixth of December. Um, so, hopefully, we will see some action um, mm. on some of these issues. Um, so, there's a, but there's a whole range of we need new changes in the law and new restrictions, mm. and we also need to help trading standards do what they should be doing already. Definitely. And this is not me criticising trading standards because they've seen huge budget cuts over the last mm. ten years. You know, they've had, they are running on fifty percent less money than they had. Um, I think in 2014 or so. Um, so they need to be equipped by central government so that you've got offices who can go to these corner shops that you mentioned, who can go around and make sure and enforce and know that there is a threat that if people do sell uh, vapes to under 18, then they'd get caught and there's a there's a fine and a penalty there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to, you know, need, need a whole range of, um, of changes. So, John, finally, where can our listeners, uh, you know, where can they find out find out more? about asthma and lung charity? Well, if you go to our website, so that's asthmaandlung.org.uk, or just type asthma and lung um, into, into Google or similar, um, and you'll, you'll come up to our website. So there's, there's a huge amount on there in terms of health advice. So we've got the Stop Smoking pages, and there's some links to, to vaping and how that fits into the Stop Smoking journey, etc. Um, but likewise, we have um, a, a very, very good uh, helpline and there's a WhatsApp service as well. So whether it's um, you know, on the phone or, or, or messaging, you can get in touch with us. Anyone who has um, uh, concern, whether that's about vaping or, or smoking or any other, you know, breathlessness or other types of, of, of lung condition that people may be experiencing. Um, and also, just to flag, because we're talking about vaping, there is this mm-hmm. government consultation at the moment. Um, so if anyone wants to, you know, look at the consultation or you've got a personal view or perspective, you know, as an individual, you can still submit to the government consultation and put your view forward um so again if you go to to google or similar and 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 type and and search for that consultation um you'll find that fairly quickly and i definitely encourage people to um to take part and to put their views forward thank you very much for your time john and uh, thank you so much for the brilliant information that you've provided us no problem thanks for uh, thanks for having me on No no problem at all so you're listening to voiceofislam.co.uk um, and if you want to be a part of our program, you can contact us on 0208 That's 0208 And as my friend Imran has also said that you can mm-hmm. also tweet us on Voice of Islam UK. So Imran, let's go through some mm-hmm. of these stats. Okay? Mm-hmm. The, a report published in June 2023 by Action on Smoking and Health stated in 2023 20.5% of children had tried vaping wow mm. 
up from 15.8% in 2022 and 13.9% in 2020 before the first COVID lockdown. Since 2021, the proportion of current vaping has been greater than the current smoking, which is 7.6% vaping compared to 3.6% smoking in 2023. The proportion of never smokers who have tried vaping is 11.5%. However, 8 out of 10 children have never smoked. So this amounts to nearly half or 48% of children who have tried vaping. Most 62% of those who have never smoked but have vaped have only tried once or twice whilst most 70% current vapors have also tried smoking among 11 to 15 year olds 15% have tried vaping compared to 34% of 16 to 17 year olds and 38% of 18 year olds so yeah that's um, you know these are these are very uh, compelling stats um, you know what caught my attention was the fact that mm-hmm. you know how how are children at the age of uh, 11 to 15 years old how how are they you know even accessing these mm-hmm. sort of things you know do you, have, do you have any i mean i do want to talk about uh, you know our first guest to talk uh, you know uh, which he talked about and shed some light upon uh, john foster uh, i think there, there needs to be a shift in in policy yeah. uh, I, and i do have um, you know a negative kind of feeling calling yeah. it e pen yeah because when you say it e pen you have a you know positive feeling towards yeah. something and the pen has a positive feeling towards feel, it. okay all right because because you know it is used for for writing yeah yeah so i have a i we shouldn't call it e pen or you know e cigarettes mm-hmm. it should be calling them you know vape or something like that yeah. so we need to um definitely look towards the packaging because it's very appealing mm. to children and also the thing is you, you know mm. the, the point here is that it doesn't matter how appealing it is mm. children should not be able to get a, get a hold of them mm-hmm. so this is the question how how are they getting a hold of them definitely. you know um, we've already discussed the you know the element of um you know proxy he was uh, as as john mentioned proxy set, uh, proxy sales who's buying them for these kids though that's the thing so you know the, the these these um people who are selling them mm-hmm. they have they should know that um you know when they when they're selling something uh, what what is the um you know have has uh, mm. are the people they're selling them to have they mm. taken you know have they given a declaration that these are just for for them mm. or Yeah, you know is is this being monitored mm-hmm. that's that, that's one question Definitely. you know another question i would mm-hmm. i would actually uh uh i would actually uh, think about is you know the vapes themselves mm-hmm. okay what once people have used them and they've disposed of them mm-hmm. okay t- you know are children picking them up okay. know, that's that's something that i'm i'm a bit okay. concerned about okay? okay so you know people are just um, they, they don't know whether the vape itself is completely uh done because i think that mm. you, you can't see if they okay. if they if you're finished with it it always maybe has some <coughs> s- some amount left okay and they're just disposing them uh on you know public seats or here and public there on places, the floor yeah yeah. Pu- mm. yeah you know if you go to a park mm. there you might find a, yeah. a vape on the you know a used vape um and our child you know then children are, are going to get a hold of it and they're mm. just going to start um using it you know so the the disposing aspect mm. of it as well you know are, are you are they being disposed so that others or vulnerable children can't get a hold mm. of them you know that that could be also some sort of thing that needs to be looked at definitely i think it's a very important point that those who use these kind of thing they should be take care of that uh, they, these kind of thing should not yeah. get it's hold like, of it's like it's children, like saying you know? well you know i mm. i've had my fun with it so yeah. uh, i don't care if wh- what i do with it now mm. 
But and this is the same thing with cigarettes as well. Yeah. You know, some some sometimes people um, smoke it, and they, these are still half there cigarettes. Some some left, and then, and then okay. You know, the kids, <laughs> the kids after they use that's them. More like, yeah, poor guys um, <laughs> who who probably can't afford a cigarette, so they have to. But anyways, um, there is this also this other element of you know uh, parents if they've got it, or if if there's an elder brother or teenage brother uh, or sister who've got uh, vapes and they're not looking after them in their house, mm-hmm. and kids get a hold of them. um and they like you know you know this this seems a bit fun so why not why not have a have a have a swift of this as well yeah. so you know the, a lot of negligence mm-hmm. is involved here okay Definitely. and this negligence is causing um it, it's causing harm mm. to children mm. so let's now um move on with our show in regards to a pre-record that we have of a guest um her name is Paige Farnell she is the Healthy Schools Officer for Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. So let's listen to Paige in on regards to this subject. For today's show, we have Paige Fernell, who is a Healthy Schools Officer for Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. Hi, Paige. Thanks for agreeing to do this interview. That's no problem. Thanks for having me. Um, could you firstly tell the listeners about what your role actually involves? Yeah, so um, there's various roles within our team. Um, I no longer have um, a face-to-face or delivering role, um, but we have a coordinator, uh, Joanne Howling, and a secondary school coordinator who is Jess Foster, and Glenda, who is our primary school uh, coordinator. and uh, the lovely Rachel who makes up our team for going to schools and we are commissioned to visit primary and secondary settings uh, to to pre- deliver our um prevention program for smoking and vaping um so vaping has become a major problem in the UK especially in young children we hear it in the news all the time um What are schools trying doing to try and bring awareness to the risks of vaping? For Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, uh, we have a lot of primary schools and secondary schools who will have us in to host an assembly, provide one-to-one or group support for their students, um, or our workshops uh, for primary and secondary. Uh, but for schools across Cambridgeshire or even worldwide for that matter um they are reaching out to people like ourselves to download our resources and information that we have available yeah um what more can parents do to prevent their children from becoming involved in the trend of vaping because i know it's tough with social media and uh lots of influence so obviously it starts at home so what can parents try and do to ensure their children don't get on the trend of vaping having having kind of conversations about it um where, wherever possible um kind of staying informed so obviously as you will know um the news print something new about vaping all the time yeah. um, but but kind of finding that information um, one that is kind of backed by science and the government and sh- sharing it with um 
with all of their family if they can. And information is a key part of keeping safe. Yeah. Um, could you tell the listeners about the Catch Your Breath program and where can they go to find more about this? Yep. So the Catch Your Breath program is um, it, it's owned by Healthy Schools, Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. It's available for all schools in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough to have the team visit and deliver um, parts of the service, whether it's a workshop, assemblies, um, face-to-face uh, intervention sessions. Yeah. But it's also available for for everybody. So if you are to go online and Google Catch Your Breath Cambridgeshire Peterborough, it comes up straight away. It's the first one at the top. And there is a an abundance of information on there. Yeah. Um, so what are the difficulties in like trying to approach children in terms of vaping? Like try to get them to understand the risks and with these programs obviously you try and make them understand but how difficult is it for you to try and get them to understand how how vaping can become a bad habit um we have a fantastic team uh, some of us are from uh primary school backgrounds uh, some of us have got children of our own um, yeah. so we we kind of go at it at all aspects and the uh, programs are built for the age groups that we would be delivering them to um, and we are backed by the PSHE service as well um, recently we've um, had the the pleasure of them coming out and seeing our workshops in action so yeah. uh, We've we've done our best to make it understanding for parents, guardians, children and teachers to deliver themselves as well. And lastly, what more does the government need to do to make sure that businesses have a more subtle approach to selling vapes? Because like wherever I go to any shop, there's always vapes right there as you walk in you know the colors and can be appealing to children as well yeah um i we well we very much think that they should be treated the same way as cigarettes are it took a long time for for what science to understand that actually cigarette smoking cigarettes was harmful yeah. and if they were treated in the same way as cigarettes then the stigma of the the that the all young people are vaping, which thankfully is not true. It's the minority. Uh, that would that would soon change. Um, yeah. If they weren't, as you say, if they weren't visible, it it would change change a, a lot for for many people. Um. I just want to thank you for coming on to the show, Paige. It was really nice to have you on and thank you for the for your time. Thank you very much for, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, Jazakallah for that. And uh, 
We are once again back on the Voice of Islam Drive Time show. Uh, you can contact us on voiceofislam.co.uk or call in at 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. And uh, you can also tweet us on voice of, at Voice of Islam uh, UK. So, Imran Saab, mm-hmm. you know, what, what were we discussing in I regards mean, to definitely, uh, vaping? It is a very important question. How how does vaping work? So e-cigarettes, um, you know, uh, the heater liquid until it uh, becomes a vapor, and which is inhaled. So the liquid called e-liquid or vape juice, and can contain nicotine. So e-cigarettes can be uh, refillable, refillable or um, you know pre-filled with cartridges containing the e-liquid. Mm-hmm. So um, there are, as we talked about previously, there are plenty of uh, health risks, risks of uh, vaping. For example, addiction. So e-cigarettes contain nicotine, a drug that is highly addictive. You can have to, you don't have to vape every day to get addicted. So you can even get addictive if you use it a couple of time. Then uh, vaping can increase anxiety and depression. Um, it is noticed that nicotine makes you know anxiety and depression worse, mm. and it also affects memory and uh, concentration, self-control, and attention, especially in developing brains. So in teenagers, if they are using it, uh, definitely their lungs are developing, their brain are developing, and if they are using um, these e-cigarettes, yeah. something that harmful, that definitely going to going to you know uh, long lasting effects effect on their life definitely okay so um um young people who vape are more likely to start smoking regular tobacco so um if you're doing vaping then because you know it's you can you slowly it's a very slippery slope mm. so you tend to go to the bigger thing things so um these kind always these types of you know um so you're saying that you start off from with something which is a bit more small mm. in, in regards to small you mean affordable yes okay yes. so you start off with something which is affordable in the sense that a five pound vape mm. right mm. or ten pound for three or something mm. like that right um but then uh, because this doesn't quite sad you gets mm. boring or it doesn't quite satisfy you maybe you then go to the next level yes right and the next level is uh, that's where you start going down a very s- steep slope mm. uh, not just a slippery slope it's a yeah. very steep yeah, slippery definitely. slope okay so uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. Mm. Um, it, they 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 definitely and you know that this, this is what you know Islam says that prevention is better than cure, and uh, that is why the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him that uh, said as you mentioned previously that uh, the thing which intoxicates intoxicates you, the small amount of small that amount, yeah. small amount of that is also prohibited because it leads to the bigger yeah. bigger uh, bigger amount. Then you start taking the bigger amount slowly slowly. So similarly, uh, vape, um, vaping can mm-hmm. lead to, 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 to the cigarettes or even the more dangerous intoxications. Uh, young people who vape are more likely to start uh, smoking, um, as I said before, and um, they may be more likely to develop other addiction in the future. Um, if you're uh, doing vaping, there, uh, you, you maybe have sleep problems, mm. exposure to cancer causing, uh, uh, causing chemicals. Uh, chronic uh, bronchitis, lung damage that can be life-threatening. So you, you, you um, especially for the younger, if their lungs is developing, you can get uh, asthma and stuff like that. Uh, mm. Chronic bronchitis. Yeah. So these are the some of the harms 
which you do get from vaping. Yeah, and in chapter 7, verse 158 of the Holy Quran, it states, Those who follow the Messenger, the Prophet, the Immaculate One, whom they find mentioned in the Torah and the Gospel, which are with them, he enjoins on them and forbids them evil, and makes lawful for them the good things and forbids them the bad, and removes from them their burden and the shackles that were upon them. So those who shall believe in him and honour and support him and help him and follow the light that has been sent down with him, these shall prosper. So I think that the reason why you mm-hmm. know this, this verse is a very important uh, relation to this subject mm-hmm. is because, um, as we've already discussed, mm-hmm. that uh, the Prophet has, as you mentioned, the mm-hmm. narration. Mm-hmm. That he's, he's, he's clearly uh, outlined that small, mm-hmm. something, uh, you know, which a, a, a large amount of intoxicant mm-hmm. which uh, alters the mind completely mm-hmm. so even its smallest of um, amounts is is um, mm-hmm. is prohibited so you know <laughs> you know we should we should give awareness mm-hmm. of um, where these vapes are being sold okay what where are they being sold they, they, you know this is important because uh, you know it's better to know that they are why are they are available and where they are available so that the you know this isn't something mm. which uh, for in, for instance someone who doesn't know about vaping uh, all of a sudden sees this and they think well this looks this looks interesting mm-hmm. um, especially looks, when you see yeah, the beautiful it, packaging yeah, and it's very looks very <laughs> very good but uh, you know we're, as we're arguing in this mm. program um, that th- th- it's it's not good for you it is mm. it is harmful so the popularity of specialist vape shops has exploded in recent mm. years. Mm. Across the UK, there are thousands of these types of stores dotted, uh, dotted across high streets and shopping centres. As such, they are an obvious choice for people looking to buy vape supplies. Mm-hmm. Vapes, uh, vape shops typically sell all types of vape supplies from mods to e-liquids, cases to starter kits. Their product range revolves around vaping. So, you know, mm-hmm. this is this is quite um, important to know because... You know, as you see with the um, with the uh, ad- ad- or development or the mm-hmm. advancement of society, mm-hmm. um, development of high streets. Um, you know what what are the new types of shops which are more frequent? Whereas mm-hmm. uh, in the past, those shops were not. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, they were nowhere to be seen. So, um, I have seen a rise, mm-hmm. okay, of of shops which are specifically. Uh, designated or they are specifically designed for mm. you know um, e-cigarettes okay, okay or e-cigarette uh, experience mm-hmm. vapes uh, you know th- th- this is on mm. the rise okay in mobile phone shops as well <laughs> all of a sudden have um, sections of uh, you know uh, va- not vapes or mm. electronic vapes as well so yeah the- these are these are quite uh, they- they're-, they're becoming quite common so Let's now uh, speak to our next guest. Uh, his name is Steve Bowen, and he is a sufferer of COPD after smoking for more than 50 years. Uh, peace be upon you, Steve, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, no, no, no problem. Thank you for joining us. Uh, could you tell the listeners about what is COPD? Uh, it's basically an umbrella term for uh, respiratory illnesses. Uh, the main ones are emphysema and bronchitis mm. and fibrosis. Uh, emphysema 
terms the uh, air sacs in the lungs, they lose their elasticity and therefore uh, become totally ineffective. Uh, bronchitis mm-hmm. uh, as to fur up the tubes in your lungs and restrict the airflow through them, uh, thus reducing your lung capacity. So you end up with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and my lung capacity at the moment is 33%. Mm-hmm. I have a whole lung capacity. Mm-hmm. So Steve, what early symptoms do you have and how uh, were you diagnosed? Um, the early symptoms, that's a difficult one to say because most smokers or seasoned smokers have smoked for years and the cough creeps in and the wheezing and bits, you just don't notice it come on. Mm. Um, I didn't really pay an awful lot of attention. I knew I was in a bad way because people used to tell me you know, when my chest was rattling or wheezing or anything like that, they could actually physically hear it when I was standing next to them. Mm. Um but as a smoker yourself, you tend to, I think as your time goes on, you just sort of accept that it's happening, but you don't really pay a lot of attention to it. Right. Um, I stopped smoking in January 2020 after smoking for over 50 years. Mm. Um, I started at the age of nine. Wow. Um, it was quite, quite cool to smoke amongst the big kids back when I was young. Mm. Um I've got the futile attempts at stopping over the years. I actually stopped once for three years, but mm-hmm. never actually physically felt like I'd stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the, the actual mental approach is the main thing uh, to stopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went all the way through, and then I got to 65. I had 100 cigarettes sitting in my kitchen. Oh. And at half past nine on the 20th of January 2020, I just said no more. I didn't smoke another cigarette. Mm. I left that 100 cigarettes sitting there. (laughs) And what lifestyle changes did you make after being diagnosed with COPD? Right, well, the smoking actually stopped 10 months before I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And the, the game changer for me was... With COPD, you get what's called an exacerbation, (laughs) but you can't physically breathe. It's not a mental thing. You are physically, you can't breathe. (laughs) The absolute horror of having your head pounding, your chest tight, and you just can't get air into you. (laughs) I was a qualified first aider. I knew all about remaining calm, but it didn't make the slightest bit of difference. I honestly thought my time was up and it was time for me to leave this planet. Um, after I got there, I went to the hospital. They told me it'd be two hours for an ambulance, and I thought, well, I'm definitely not going to be here tomorrow then. Mm. I had my four-year-old grandson with me, and I didn't really care about myself. I was more concerned about him. Mm. Um, lucky enough, my wife's chiropodist brought me in, and after 40 minutes, my breathing settled down sufficiently enough for me to be comfortable but have laboured breathing. Um, I spent the mandatory five hours or so down accident emergency after making my own way down there and it was with COPD apart from tests you can never say you've categorically got it Mm. so they would from a phone appointment throughout the pandemic it was suspected and then when I went to the hospital and once again it was suspected Mm. uh, they listened to my lungs then I went to my GP and the basic test for COPD is a test called spirometry. 
mm-hmm. breathe into a machine and that will tell you what your lung capacity is under certain conditions. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I asked to go in and have the spirometry and they told me after the pandemic all the spirometry was being reserved for children with asthma seven mm-hmm. and under. <coughs> mm-hmm. So I had to physically ask for something to be done. I said, I don't want it done urgently. I just need a course of action to get on top of this. Mm. And um, I, I went there and I organised spirometry, blood tests and chest x-ray to be done over a three-month period. Mm. Um, and then got the review afterwards and it was confirmed that I had COPD with a 33% lung capacity and uh, a lung age of a 91-year-old at the mm. age of 65. So, and it's the first time I've ever been told that I've got something that isn't going to get better, which was a big shock. Mm. 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 Uh, Steve, there are lots of people who are trying to quit the cigarette. You said that uh, uh, you started smoking at the age of nine, I think. Um, <laughs> Um, what are these strategies or method or what's your advice uh, to those people who are struggling to quit the cigarettes? Well, it's hard to say. People with COPD, there's still some people out there that think they've damaged themselves too much and it doesn't matter if they smoke or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, after I quit smoking, I joined an international no-smoking group where I mentored hundreds of people on how to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. And... My advice has always been the same. Everyone worries about failing or relapsing when they give up smoking. Hmm. My question to them is, how many times do you give up smoking? And the answer has got to be, if it's any more than once, Hmm. then you you haven't given up. Because a lot of people are under the impression they've stopped smoking loads of times. Well, you can't stop smoking loads of times. You stop once and it's forever. Hmm. Um, And I try and put a message forward um, there's only really two ways to quit smoking and that's the cold turkey version mm-hmm. whereby you just cut yourself off and don't do any more which is sounds harsh but it's mm-hmm. the to my way of thinking it's the best way um, as once you purged your system of the nicotine mm-hmm. cravings tend to go away a bit quicker Uh, The slow version of quitting is usually nicotine replacement therapy, which can be vapes, can be tablets, can be inhalers, anything that's got nicotine in it or to sort of cut down on the nicotine intake. Um, This is usually done over a structured period. Uh, It's set by yourself. Uh, No one tells you what period it can be over. Mm -hmm. So you cut down your nicotine intake and adhere to it rigidly mm-hmm. for a period of time with a definite final date. And once that final date comes along and you've weaned yourself down, then you quit altogether. Mm-hmm. My uh, take on that is it's extremely hard to stop um, an addiction while you're still putting the chemical into your body that you're trying to get away from. Right. Okay. So certain people will struggle with that. So, um, with the talks about the smoking ban, how do you think clamping down on smoking could prevent people from developing COPD in the first place? 
Mm, I have mixed views about this because from dealing with people that have been smoking for years and years, I don't advocate smoking, I don't like it, but I can't criticise anyone because I did it myself. So mm. I'm not going to start turn around and start with the sort of righteous view that, that you shouldn't be smoking. I don't smoke anymore, so you shouldn't. Mm. Um, but from experience of mentoring people on how to stop, you can't force someone to quit smoking. Mm -hmm. Even taking away the project, product, in this country, sad to say, we're only 22 miles away from Europe. Mm. And I don't know. I, I, I think it, the, the concept is absolutely brilliant. Uh, the impact is, I, I would like to think it would work extremely well. Mm. Um, but I don't know. Uh, the smoking, anything that cuts down smoking, especially in children, or stops them from the addiction from the start, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, most of it has been done to date by the government in trying to price people out of it. Yeah. But children and adults have got a lot more disposable income, or the majority of them have nowadays. Yeah. Yep, right. So thank you for your time, um, Steve. It was, um, you know, it was really nice uh, hearing from you and also you know, from your own experiences. So thank you for uh, joining us on Voice of Islam. Okay, thank you. Peace be upon you. Peace be upon you. So where you are listening to us on uk, you can contact us on 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Or you can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So moving on, mm -hmm. um, pe petrol stations and convenience stores. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, uh, definitely petrol station and convenience store. They are also, uh, you can uh, get the, you know, um, away from them as well but uh, I do want to talk about uh, the ban um, mm. uh, of which uh, the Prime Minister yeah, has yeah. set has out been touched upon, yeah. uh, has, has, uh, has set out a plan to build a better and brighter future for children yeah. and uh, you know this includes the um, introduction of a new law to stop children who turn 14 this year or younger uh, forever legally being sold cigarettes and a further crackdown on youth vaping. And this is a similar kind of um, uh, law introduced um, in New Zealand as well, where uh, the Prime Minister said that uh, the, the children who were born after 2008, they're not allowed to buy cigarettes. Hmm. So uh, I think the UK is also uh, using the same kind of strategy, which is, I think is a good, good thing. And then the Prime Minister uh, also said that the age of sale will be raised uh, by one year each year to prevent future generation from ever um, taking up, uh, you know, smoking as there is no safe age to smoke. Mm. To ensure the balance uh, right between protecting children and supporting adult smokers to quit the uh, uh, government will bring forward a, a consolation to look at. So um, I think um, the restri restriction and the uh, restri the, the flavours and a description of uh, vapes, so that uh, vape flavors are no longer targeted at children. Uh, I think the, uh, our first guest also, you also touched upon this. Touched upon this so that bubble, bubble gum, gum flavor is something yeah. that's going to be really yeah. popular with children, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. And so uh, regulating uh, another way is regulating point of sale display in retail outlets. So you do talk about you know uh, that um, nowadays um, vape. Um, 
products are easily available on uh, 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 retails. Mm. So uh, regulating point of um, sale uh, displays in retail uh, outlets so that vape are kept out of sight from children and away from products that appeal to them, such as sweets. Uh, regulating a wipe a packaging and uh, product uh, uh, presentation, ensuring that either the uh, device nor its packaging is targeted to children. So these are the some of the um, uh, strategies or can say policies which government is going to apply in the mm. in the future or uh, is already trying apply. to use this to mm. somehow um, make sure that children don't get a hold of. Um, any kind of vape but then again mm. uh, it is still you know we we vaping age restrictions mm. must uh, someone must be 18 or older to buy vapes mm. or e-cigarettes or e-liquids in the UK it is illegal for adult users to buy or attempt to buy ta- tobacco or vaping products for anyone under the age of 18 now this is you know this is the key here mm-hmm. uh, considering that there is going to be this uh, smoking ban mm-hmm. um whenever it's applied mm-hmm. and as you mentioned that each year it's going to be raised by one, one year so yeah. who, how is this even going to be monitored then mm. uh, w- in a time where children under the age of 18 are still getting a hold of mm. vapes right so uh, it's it, it it comes more down to the actual mm. um, monitoring and uh, punish is punishment the right, right mm. word uh, you know policing of it okay mm. so policing of uh, children getting a hold of this um mm. You know who's who's keeping an eye out on them. Who's stopping them? How do they get it? Who's asking these questions? So this is what's uh, you know important now. Yeah. To so conclude it, for hmm. today's program, um, Pathway to Paradise is a book that puts to uh, that is put together by women of the Amdia Muslim community, which contains resources such as the Holy Quran with the five-volume country hadith or books of the Promised Messiah and the Friday sermons of the Caliph of the time. Uh, an extract from the book of in chapter six, uh, chapter six states, it is important to note that drugs and alcohol are used as a means for of escape from overwhelming dis- difficulties and responsibilities. The attitude of one uh, has truly embraced the teachings of Islam cannot be compatible with the state of despair. A true Muslim places his reliance on Allah for the relief of hardship. When uh, the Holy Prophet says some peace and blessings of Allah proclaimed uh, commandment concerning intoxicants, his followers broke their pots of jugs and wine until the streets flowed with it. So with that comes to end our first hour, Zakla. of Islam Radio. Welcome back to the second hour of 
the uh, Drive Time Show on Voice of Islam Radio. Uh, you can contact us on voiceofislam.co.uk or call in on 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So uh, just to conclude, in the first mm-hmm. hour we were, you know, we had a very uh, detailed discussion mm-hmm. on a very contemporary subject mm-hmm. in regards to. Um, vaping and mm. its uh, and its you know its harms yeah. um and um you know it was quite a com- compelling discussion mm-hmm. now for the second hour mm-hmm. uh, it would be um definitely i just want to talk one 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 point here that prime minister uh, put ban on you know is going to put ban on uh, cigarettes yeah. uh, but definitely uh, in my point of view there is more harm in other drugs as well mm-hmm. for example alcohol and other drugs we should be putting ban on them as well okay. but <laughs> you might <laughs> <might> go uh, <laughs> you but, go full sharia <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah definitely i think um, we do need to take care uh, especially for the october younger generation mm-hmm. and um, we need to tell them you know there are plenty of way you can engage yourself by uh, playing by going outside and you know yeah there's better things to better do better things to do other than just uh, you know uh, indulging these kind of stuff uh, definitely uh, in the in the second hour we're going to talk about ibn rushd or um as we say um avaris and yeah. uh, um he's a very well known philosopher uh, of uh, his um indolusian period of time and uh, he is known uh, for his ex- uh, you know extensive work on aristotelian philosophy mm. and uh, he translated uh, the aristotle's philosophy into arabic okay. uh, and then uh, he wrote commentary uh, on uh, on aristotelian philosophy mm-hmm. and um, yeah as it is it is a world philosophy day on thursday so today we'll be uh, looking at the life and works of an influential philosopher ibn rushd also known as averroes uh, in a time when religion and science crossing paths was unread unheard of uh, due to language barriers ibn rushd provided a bridge by translating the work of aristotle so that these two formerly distinct groups groups of people could connect and engage the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him said whoever takes a path upon which to obtain knowledge allah makes the path to paradise easy for him so in islam it is very uh, you are encouraged to to seek uh, knowledge to, yeah. to seek the knowledge uh, the, the holy prophet said that seek knowledge from your mother's lap to to, mm. to to the to your, to your grave to your grave yeah to so this is what uh, islam emphasize and also the first verse of the holy quran if you look at it's called is it, uh, it was revealed um, and the first word is iqra, iqra which yeah. is read so um, the early islamic uh, philosopher uh, philosopher would say uh, it really encouraged the islamic teaching of to knowledge, pursue yeah. knowledge and mm. you know you, you touch upon a very uh, very important point here mm. because um when we discuss it in regards to ibn rushd uh, which we will be discussing in mm. extensive uh, manner uh, as you've highlighted or as it's highlighted mm. that one of his main key traits here mm. or key qualities is that he built this bridge between um, scientific knowledge mm-hmm. and uh, religious or theological mm. knowledge and he you know he he made them go side by side and mm-hmm. it's important to note that when this scholar or mm this philosopher or this great jurist jurist uh, this this uh, ex- yeah. expert of jurisprudence yeah. um you know he he was born or abu his name is abu al-walid muhammad ibn 
Ahmad ibn Rushd, very long, <laughs> very long name, was born in 1126 in the Spanish uh, city of Cordoba. So think about it in the sense that this is about um, close to a thousand years ago, mm-hmm. right? And um, how much knowledge was there available mm-hmm. of of science? And you know, this question there and mm-hmm. there is risen as well that you know, when since when uh, did science start to believe that it can now detach from uh, what is the common knowledge uh, or which is the taught knowledge of religion mm-hmm. okay so there is this element of detachment uh, at play mm-hmm. okay science is on its uh, in its in the stages where it believes it doesn't need to uh, correlate or mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't need religion to justify it um, uh, whereas at that time in such a time uh, Ibn Rushd played this part mm-hmm. of uh you know, Basically bridging yeah, between the bridging, and bridging and between that. So you know he uh, his his services in that regard mm. uh, are are you know they're monumental. Mm. So uh, concerning the re- the region where he lived, His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, writes on such a matter in Spain, there does not appear to have been any dialogue between scientists and religious scholars. There was no forum for the transfer of knowledge between these two groups nor any debates about the comparative mer- merits of their respective beliefs consequently there were consequently there were no galileo in spain and uh, who had to choose between life and truth mm-hmm. the scientists uh, and their contemporaries did not even in- attempt to explain to the religious scholars their compulsion to call to call a spade a spade when they saw one mm-hmm. nor did they find it necessary to prove to them to prove to them their interpretation of the holy quran was wrong because it contradicted uh, the known scientific facts of the time as a result they developed two parallel movements which gradually you know, this is what we were discussing, mm-hmm. which gradually grew further apart with the passage of time. It so happened at last that Islamic knowledge took a completely different course mm-hmm. from that of the philosophical and scientific channels of thought, never to cross their path. They were like two streams running in parallel without interrupting each other's flow. Consequently, the Islamic nation of Andalusia, the title of the Muslim Empire in Spain, outpaced other Islamic countries in most fields of scientific research. Further to its advantage, Spain enjoyed a long and seldom uh, a long and seldom broken period of relative peace, safe from the attacks of invaders such as Genghis Khan and Halaku Khan. This period of Islamic history in Andalusia could be rightly considered as the golden age of rationalism. With the expulsion of Muslims from Andalusia, the great era of Muslim denomination, uh, Muslim domination, came to an end. All ties of Islam and the and with the Spanish people were severed. If ever a great, uh, if ever a tragic retrog- uh, retrogression of intellectual and scientific advancement took place anywhere in the world, it took place in the land of Andalusia. And what a tragic retrogression it was, as the gates were opened at the southern end of Andalusia for the exodus of Islam out went along with wisdom with it wisdom knowledge fair play truth and light of uh, in all its spectra perhaps for centuries not to return so this is from revelation uh, rationality knowledge and truth so as we mm-hmm. discussed and as mentioned in this um, you know there there were these uh, you know 
two as as Mirza Tahir Ahmed, yeah, the fourth, the fourth caliph has mentioned very beautifully that it's like there were two streams, mm-hmm. um, which were about to go into their own mm-hmm. uh, separate paths. But mm-hmm. you know, when you, when you discuss uh, the services of Ibn Rushd, mm-hmm. you know, he was he, his services were essentially the the, the aim of them mm-hmm. was to bring those uh, you know those streams together mm-hmm. make sure that they work uh, hand in hand and importantly as you know outlined by um, by the fourth caliph was that it created this um, this society mm-hmm. where you know um, it, it, it was what you know it was it was a beautiful society mm-hmm. of peace and definitely yeah I think previously if you look if, we, if the fourth caliph gave the example of uh, Galileo yeah who was uh, basically um, um, if I'm not wrong it was uh, killed because of his beliefs uh, um, um, and uh, the, his beliefs contradict the Bible mm. you know he's, he was put in, to death but he says that um, Ibn Rushd yeah. he doesn't have that kind of difficulties yeah. because uh, the Quran is according to the you know it does not oppose um, the the laws of the nature what, what you need to understand here as mm. well is that I think Galileo uh, was predominantly a part of a uh, a strong Christian society mm. okay mm. where the the church mm. is everything okay but the church where the Bible is everything um, you know you Geographical context is important. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, Ibn Rushd obviously grew up in a or was was allowed to be, express himself um, in a more Islamic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Andalusia, as we said, mm-hmm. the empire, the golden empire of mm-hmm. Islam in in Europe, um, in Andalusia, where he was obviously given a lot more mm-hmm. freedom to express himself, and that really played into his um, into his. Uh, uh, that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. That's how I can only um, interpret mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's important. Uh, you know, giving the person, giving a person, mm-hmm. the complete freedom mm-hmm. to express themselves, definitely, um, and not come across as. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is what I think here uh, the work of Ibn Rushd comes. Yeah. I think um, he he said his philosophy was that uh, the religious teaching, in in this case Islam, yeah. does not contradict uh, the philosophy. Yeah. Because previously it was understood that uh, you cannot understand the Holy Quran. Uh, with reason and 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 philosophical terms, but he 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 had he said, he no, said it's, possible. it's possible. It is possible, and he in his work he basically um, disagrees with Imam Ghazali, who basically disagrees with him that you know you cannot understand the Holy Quran with just mere logic and uh, philosophy. Mm. Um, uh, bec- and then he um, give these the Quranic verses, uh, w- which says that you know you should ponder upon the creation of Allah Taala. So he used those kind of verses and said that Islam does not permit you to lose logic or to use logic, or it, it is is encourages you to ponder upon the creation of Allah the Almighty. So here his work is very extensive, and I would say that uh, you know in the Lucian period of time. Uh, um, it created uh, many great scholars like uh, Ibn Arabi, uh, Ibn Hazm, yep. and uh, Abu Tufail. And uh, in Baghdad, it was a house of wisdom as well. Yep. Um, uh, again, created many, you know, great scholar. Yep. So um, definitely, um, these these uh, era of golden age created um, many great scholars, which influenced the Western uh, world as well. Yep. So to dis- discuss this mm-hmm. subject, um, you know, we've ha- we have uh, scholars who are also uh, who have studied the work of Ibn Rushd, and one of them is uh, Reem Sharaiki. She's a life devotee 
of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. She's a translator, a writer, a researcher of Islam in the International Translation Office. So, uh, peace be upon you, uh, Sister Reem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam. So, Reem, can you please tell us what initially drew you to study Ibn Rushd's work? Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, the first time I came uh, across his work <coughs> Mm. is when I was um, in Syria at school, year 11 and year 12. So his biography and his works was uh, a part of the um, curriculum, philosophy curriculum mm-hmm. um, there. And, you know, then, of course, you know, this um, uh, caused, you know, that I uh, studied more about him and especially that he was a great scholar, a great philosopher, a great, a great jurist. Mm-hmm. And his work had a great impact on the history of philosophy and the interplay between reason and faith. Mm-hmm. And his efforts to reconcile Aristotelian uh, philosophy with Islamic theology and to promote the compatibility of reason and faith have left a lasting legacy. And, uh, you know, Ibn Rushd's Rush, uh, influence extended mm-hmm. beyond his time, shaping both Islamic and Western philosophical traditions and contributing to the uh, broader intellectual dialogue between the two worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, can you provide uh, an overview of Ibn Rushd's major contribution uh, to Islamic and Western philosophy? You know, he made fundamental contributions to both Islamic and Western philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, for example, he believed that the study of philosophy was a Quranic imperative mm-hmm. and therefore a duty for all Muslims to pursue Mm-hmm. And he believed that philosophy was a product of the human mind, while religion was from the divine revelation, okay. clarifying that the two ultimately originated from the same source. Mm-hmm. And uh, the main focus of his works was to demonstrate the compatibility of divine revelation and the philosophical means of determining the truth, uh, determining the truth, and uh, if there is any contradiction between scripture and the truth, and the truth mm-hmm. reached through deductive logic, then the issue did not lie within the scripture, mm-hmm. but it means the interpretation is wrong. Great. And he also interpreted Aristotle's works and introduced his philosophy to the Islamic world, aiming to demonstrate the compatibility of Aristotle's ideas with the Islamic teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can say also that his works uh, were translated into Latin and they played a crucial role in transmitting Aristotelian philosophy to the Western medieval world. Mm-hmm. And his commentaries influenced Western thinkers who sought to reconcile Aristotle with Christian theology as well. So his, um, you know, uh, dual influence on Islamic and Western philosophical traditions shows the richness of his intellectual legacy and mm-hmm. his role in the cross-cultural exchange of ideas during the medieval time. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, I was um, um, listening to one of his podcasts on Ibn Rushd and uh, they were saying that mm-hmm. uh, Western scholar, they say that uh, uh, Aristotle was the philosopher and Ibn Rushd uh, was the commentator. So uh, yes. some of them says that you cannot understand Aristotle in the work without uh, without, without Ibn Rushd. Exactly. So he was definitely, I think, he contributed uh, 
uh, understanding the West, the the West, uh, the Aristotelian philosophy. Uh, right. I also I also heard that he he basically disagrees with Imam Ghazali on certain yes. things. Uh, can you uh, elaborate elaborate on this topic as well? This point. You know, because you know, uh, some Muslims, uh, mm-hmm. likewise also Christians, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, during this medieval ages, so including Ghazali and m- many other scholars as well, and also Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they believed that such approach, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, Ibn Rushd took, under undermined the sacredness of the divine revelation. So that that was the main reason behind okay. it. Okay. Okay. So. Um, Uh, how did Ibn Rushd approach Islamic jurisprudence, fiqh, and mm-hmm. what uh, were his key ideas uh, in this field? You know, he learned from uh, the jurist al-Hafiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hafiz means, of course, the one who memorized fully the Holy Quran. Right. So the great, uh, the great jurist al-Hafiz uh, Abu Muhammad bin Rizq, and also he memorized the book of Al-Muwatta by Imam Malik at the hands of his father. Mm-hmm. He studied at the hands of so many jurists. such uh, as, uh, you know, Abu Ja'far bin Abdul Aziz, who allowed him to issue fatwas mm-hmm. in jurisprudence. So fatwas, of course, is um, uh, fatwa is ruling on point of mm-hmm. Islamic law given by a recognized authority. So uh, we can say that he was trained in Islamic theology. He studied the Holy Quran, the Ahadith, which are the sayings of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and the blessings of Allah be upon him. Mm-hmm. And he studied the Islamic jurisprudence. So this, uh, you know, and um, he followed the Maliki school of thought. Right. So one of his key arguments was that if people did not approach religion from a critical and philosophical perspective, the mm-hmm. true and intended meaning could be lost, leading to the misinterpretation of the divine revelation. Mm-hmm. And uh, he studied also the religious doctrines. Uh, when he studied them, he highlighted what he saw as errors. And um, for example, he studied the Ash'ariyin, Ash'arites, Mu'tazila, Mu'tazilites, Sufis, and literalists. And he he pointed uh, the mistakes they they committed. Okay, great. So, uh, how did Ibn Rushd con- contribute to the revival of Aristotelian philosophy in the Islamic world? You know, he played a, signific- a significant role in the revival of Aristotelian philosophy in the Islamic world through his commentaries, as we mentioned, on Aristotle's uh, works. So, he, his detailed commentaries, particularly on uh, Aristotle's metaphysics and ethics, Mm-hmm. aimed to clarify and reconcile Aristotelian fil- uh, thought with Islamic teachings. So Ibn Rushd urged that reason and philosophy were valuable tools for understanding the natural world mm-hmm. and should be embraced by scholars. His efforts contributed to the broader movement of, um, you know, incorporating a Greek philosophy, especially Aristotle's uh, philosophy, into Islamic scholarship mm-hmm. during the Uh, medieval period influencing both Islamic and European intellectual traditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reem, uh, can you explain Ibn Rushd's view on the uh, compatibility of reason and faith? You know, Ibn Rushd believed that uh, there is no contradiction between religion and philosophy, right. and that the universe is eternal, the soul is divided into two sections. One is personal and the second one is divine. 
And he said that since the soul is mortal, so are people. Mm-hmm. So uh, who have two levels, he said people are having two levels of consciousness and consequently two levels of truth. Mm-hmm. One is based on religious knowledge and the other is on philosophy. And he advocated for the harmony between reason and faith. He argued that the rational inquiry and philosophy could be used to understand and interpret religious texts, contributing to the broader tradition of Islamic philosophy. He believed in the compatibility of reason and faith, Mm -hmm. and he argued that uh, reason or philosophy could coexist with the Islamic teachings. And according to him, rational inquiry could be used to understand and interpret (coughs) the religious texts. And he also advocated for the idea that philosophical knowledge and religious beliefs should complement each other rather than being in conflict. And the perspective uh, marked his attempt to reconcile Aristotelian philosophy with Islamic thought, Mm -hmm. emphasizing the unity of reason and faith in the pursuit of knowledge. Right, great. So basically he explained that there is no uh, contradiction between religion and but, philosophy. Exactly. And so for example, uh, I think one of the very good phrases uh, um, which I really like, Hazrat Muslim, the second caliph of the Muslim community, said that the, the Quran or the revealed word is the word of God and the nature is the action of God. So there is no contradiction between the word of God and action of God. So I think the, he right. emphasized on the same point. Uh, yep. Exactly. Definitely. Um, can you um, explain um, uh, what is Ibn Rushd's idea on double truth and how does this concept uh, influence later philosophical and theological discussions? You know, his idea of the double truth refers to the concept that there can be two truths. Mm-hmm. One derived from philosophy and reason and the other from religious faith. Okay. Therefore, cannot be subjected to comprehensive scrutiny. But he proposed that philosophical truth and religious truth could coexist, even if they appear to contradict each other. So his notion of the double truth, you know, ignited debates and discussions among later philosophers and theologians. And uh, this concept influenced subsequent thinkers such as um, Latin Averroes in uh, medieval Europe who interpreted in various ways, um, you know, uh, this this philosophy. And some saw that it is a way to reconcile faith and reason while others were critical of this idea. So the double truth concept contributed to broader discussion on the relationship between philosophy and religion, leaving a lasting impact on mm-hmm. the history of medieval and later philosophical and theological thought. Mm-hmm. So um, can you finally discuss the specific Western philosophers who were influenced by Ibn Rushd? You know, scholars, in fact, continue to study his writings uh, for insights into relationship between philosophy and religion. And his work, uh, you know, paved the way for other European philosophers, inspiring an intellectual revival among scholars uh, within, uh, uh, among scholars writing in, in Latin language. So his thoughts on Aristotle, for example, and relationship between philosophy and, re- and religion created a renewed uh, interest in the interpretation mm-hmm. of, of the scriptures, particularly in Judaism. We, he was, uh, you know, 
heavily influencing the works, for example, of the Jewish and Lucian philosopher Musa okay. bin Maimoun, or mm-hmm. knows, uh, or uh, known as uh, Maimonides. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Ibn Rushd's also fame in Europe stem stems from his commentaries, as we said, on the work of Aristotle, which led to an interest in the ancient Greek philosopher in Europe. Mm-hmm. And he inspired also future philosophers, such as the 13th century Italian priest and philosopher Thomas Aquinas, who dedicated significant time to critique Ibn Rushd's work. But nevertheless, he also, uh, you know, anchor, uh, incorporated some of his ideas into his own uh, scholar, uh, scholarly uh, approach. And we have also, for example, Sigur of Barbon, mm-hmm. and he is a member of the medieval uh, Latin Averroism movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, he drew on Ibn Rushd's interpretation of Aristotle. He embraced the idea of a unity of truth, but faced opposition from within the Christian theological community. Uh, we have also Roger Bacon, and um, he was a critical for some of uh, you know aspects of the thoughts of Ibn Rushd, but he was also influenced by the broader reintroduction of Aristotelian philosophy to the West, and he reintroduced that was, you know, and he shaped uh, his philosophy on, on commentaries of Ibn Rushd to be honest. Right. I just want to talk about a slightly different subject. Um, um, you know, we see the golden age of Islam, the um, you know Andalusian period, and uh, yeah. in Baghdad, Batul Hikmah. Um, um, you know, at that time, Islam produced uh, great scientists, uh, scholars uh, like yeah. uh, Imam Ghazali, Ibn Rushd, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Hazm. You know, lots of yeah. these names. But now it seems like uh, Muslim Ummah uh, does not have these kind of scholars. Uh, yeah. What do you think? What are the reasons or? Um, is there anything you want to uh, point out? You know, because unfortunately, the countries are full of conflicts, hmm. full of, um, you know, poverty. So now I'm telling you as someone who is in contact with those people, for example, in the Middle East, mm-hmm. that they are caring how I will, uh, you know, arrange bread for my family. This is their ultimate care, you know, that how I will provide for my family, how I will do this, do that. So, yes, they are mostly studying at universities, but, you know, it is all coming from the West. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So all the knowledge coming to their universities from the West. Right. You know, hardly anyone has, uh, you know, any new uh, thought or any new thing. If you look at the Muslim scholars, you will find that they prosper in the Western countries mm-hmm. not in their own countries because Definitely. in the western countries they have the opportunity to be creative and also to focus on uh, you know such a study but mm-hmm. unfortunately in the muslim world they are just you know caring or busy about you know how to uh, you know give bread mm-hmm. and food to their to their family mm-hmm. so this took them away and also you know unfortunately when you are just putting the holy quran Mm-hmm. on the shelves without contemplating on it. So mm-hmm. the Holy Quran is telling you to ponder, to think, to reflect, reflect on nature, reflect on this. So those, those scholars of the um, golden age of mm-hmm. Islam mm-hmm. were having this great knowledge because they contemplated on the Holy Quran and they you know, got everything from the Holy Quran. Right. So right. When, they, when they were reading that, Reflect on this nature, reflect on the 
uh, what happened to the people of the past. Reflect on the sea, reflect on the moon. That's why they were astronomers, they were philosophers, they were, there was also com- competition between them. Mm-hmm. And they, they were able to, to create things which are still used till now, till today. We are, for example, yesterday I was reading about um, Zahrawi, that he is the one who invented the dissolved uh, stitches in mm-hmm. operation which are still used till today because okay. he, he was feeling mm-hmm. he was feeling too much pain for the women who are having cesareans okay. that they need also again to go through another pain when they will remove the stitches so he invented those dissolved stitches from the inst- intestines the bowels of uh, of uh, cows and mm-hmm. animals mm-hmm. i think you so, yeah yeah please continue So this is what I'm saying that and nowadays unfortunately the Muslims are mostly Muslims by name they just put the holy Quran on the shelves and without thinking and reflecting about the uh, golden treasures in the verses of the holy Quran I think you mentioned very important point that you know uh, the early uh, the golden age of Islam or the early especially the, the if you get the intellectual golden age of Islam they really drive their uh, you can say uh, power or drive their uh, motivation um, from the Holy Quran and all these exactly. you know uh, all these names we had like, like big names like Ibn Rushd and uh, Imam Ghazali uh, Ibn Hazm and Imam Ibn Tamiya they all they all drive their inspiration from the Holy Quran as you also mentioned that Holy Qurans say that ponder and uh, think yeah. upon the Allah's creation how I have yeah. created everything and uh, secondly I think uh, you also mentioned that um, nowadays Um, you mentioned the that uh, dissolved stitches. Um, yeah. who, who again invented that one? Zahrawi. Zahrawi, and I think the the main um, the, his aim was that to to eliminate the human suffering. We, yeah, so, exactly. So we don't um, see nowadays uh, the disrespect um, yeah. uh, in in Muslim Ummah. Uh, we're just um, uh, there to to earn uh, you know bread as you as you mentioned. Um, I also want to ask you um you said that you um uh, read Ibn Ibn Rushd's works from your um, early, early teenagers uh, yeah. how Ibn Rushd's work um, influenced your life and what impact it has on your life you know the most important point which i think he said that mm-hmm. there is no contradiction between religion and science so this mm-hmm. is what Uh, we believe in so the holy quran is not contradicting science and he said if there is any uh, you know uh, uh, contradict contradictory uh, thought mm-hmm. it means the interpretation is wrong okay. so this is i think very important when you are studying the holy quran and you think that it is contradicting any um, uh, fact which is proven by knowledge for example it means that there is something wrong in the interpretation of that verse Okay, great. Which you think that it's contradicting the the knowledge great. and the facts. So this, I think, it is it is the most important thing of his uh, philosophy. Great. Um, so, is there any book you want to recommend our listeners uh, um, to read his one of his book? Do you think this uh, um, good to read that one? You know, because I I'm I'm not sure what are in English. Okay. That's why I can't uh, I can't advise this because I'm. mostly reading in arabic okay okay that's fantastic um lastly any any message or anything you want to say to our listener uh, regarding ibn rushd or anything you want to say uh, i think it is very important especially for muslims to study um, the great works of their ancestors who mm-hmm. were also great mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and who contributed to the humanity, to the advancement of humanity. And they were, their works were the basic of the advancement in every scientific field we are in today. So I think it is very important to know their names, to know their contribution, to, do, to know what they did to mm-hmm. the humanity. And to bear in mind that what it reached to us is, you know, maybe 10% of, of their work. Because we know that, you know, um, uh, most, most books of the Muslims of Andalus were burnt, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I recall here, I, I forgot his name, but a great scholar from France, mm-hmm. he said, if these books were not burnt, mm-hmm. we will be today moving from one planet to another. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Zakala, for your time, uh, Sister Reem, it was, uh, you know, thank it was you a, for it was, having me. No, no, uh, thank you for being on the show, actually. Uh, it was a fascinating listen mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, some great messages mm-hmm. there as well. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. So you're listening to the second hour of the Voice of Islam Drive Time show. You can contact us on www.voiceofislam.co.uk or you can call in on 0208 687 that's 0208-687-7878 or you can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK so moving swiftly um, uh, Imran, brother Imran could you please explain Ibn mm-hmm. Rushd's influence on Western Definitely, philosophy. I think um, uh, our caller also talked about that uh, Ibn Rushd has a great uh, influence on Western scholar and Western philosophy. So Ibn, Ibn Rushd played a crucial role in the uh, transmission of Aristotelian work to the West. Um, and his commentaries and uh, interpretation of Aristotle's writing help reintroduced Aristotelian philosophy to the West, and, and uh, as I mentioned previously, that it is uh, it is said that in uh, medieval Western scholar, whenever they used to read uh, Aristotle work, they also have a copy of uh, Ibn Rushd uh, commentary on on Aristotelian to get philosophy. Some further in ideas and further in to understand, yeah, yeah, understand that the Aristotelian philosophy is is a play a very crucial role. Uh, Ibn Rushd's idea of the uh, double truth suggests that there could be. Uh, be truths in both religion and philosophy, even if they appeared to, uh, to contradict each other. This concept influenced discussion on the relationship between faith and reason in the West. Um, so it really bridges between faith and uh, and uh, uh, philosophy. And as as a well respected uh, guest also said that uh, he explained that previous scholar used to believe that you know you should not understand religion uh, through the lens of philosophy but he basically said that uh, there's no contradiction yeah. between religion and uh, the philosophy his holiness is a tahir ahmed male have mercy on his soul writes uh, revealed truth should be accepted as such and the knowledge gained from observation and experiment should be accepted for what it is for him it was not necessary to seek a correlation between the two nor was there any need to research for contradiction and attempts to resolve them. This was the age when Muslim scientists were making rapid progress in Spain in their spirit of scientific knowledge. They did so, they did so um, undeterred by the fact that some religious scholars of the older, older schools were issuing edicts of Ilhad innovation against them. 
Ibn Rushd may have thought it better not to get involved in such controversies, lest it should impede the progress of science. Uh, this is from extract from Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth. Uh, so uh, he's always explaining that, you know, um, he really explains the connection between yeah. uh, the revelation, between the religion and the science. And he uh, he does not even he, he said if if apparently it yeah. contradicts for example if some philosophy apparently contradicts the religion yeah. uh, it 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 is the uh, fault of the interpretation not mm-hmm. the religion so basically you're not on the right track yeah. so this is how he explains uh, religion in 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 his philosophical so even in rush's um, source or key key argument was that no you you know <coughs> There is no way that the uh, the, the scripture is wrong, mm-hmm. uh, which is important because mm-hmm. the scripture that he is referring to or he, is his base mm-hmm. uh, scripture is the Quran. Okay, mm-hmm. um, do you think that he refers to the same in regards to the Bible? Um, um, because uh, I think he was uh, he was. W- would he apply the same argument? Uh, you know, if you're saying that, look, you know, if there is contradiction or mm-hmm. uh, the, the the fault lies with. With with the way of thinking in regards to the philosophy, mm-hmm. that means that the philosophy has gone wrong. The mm-hmm. scripture can't be wrong. Mm. I mean, um, I don't know about his case, but we do, we do have examples. The, pl- in the, the point here is that mm. um, you know we could always, as Muslims, argue that the that the Quran is the is ultimate the, uh, knowledge. Yeah, ultimate knowledge, and its preservation is 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 verified. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. it's um, it is how it is uh, as revealed fourteen hundred years ago. There's no doubting. In that, mm-hmm. okay. Um, whereas, you know, do you have the same conviction in, in regards to the previous skip, scriptures scripture, yeah. uh, and their preservation? Mm-hmm. Definitely, uh, if we if we look towards the Holy Quran, Holy Quran does say that you know the previous scripture uh, has been abrogated and changed um, mm-hmm. uh, during their yep. their period of time. But this is not as a Muslim, we don't believe that this is the case with the yeah. Holy Quran. So you you would you would argue that Ibn Rushd uh, remains solely focused. Uh, in uh, appropriating the Quran uh, as the as the source scripture mm. uh, with Western ideology or Western philosophy and mm. appropriating it and making yeah. a bridge between the two. Okay? Definitely, so I, would, I would think he he helped the Western philosopher to to understand religion. And then you and then you have philosophy. to also ask mm. the question whether the Western philosophers or Western you know ideology mm-hmm. or Western philosophy okay mm-hmm. was that centralized or based upon uh, t- teachings which are not the Quran, or they are mm-hmm. centralized or based upon teachings which are mm-hmm. the Bible or mm-hmm. uh, those scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you know, the, it is. It is really, you know, it's important. A, it's, I think it's a really uh, interesting, interesting yeah. sort of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, analysis and um, trying to work this out, right? Mm-hmm. So, Ibn Rushd's writing contributed to to, uh, to debates about the separation of religious and philosophical knowledge, laying the groundwork for the later in- Enlightenment ideas on the separation of the church and state. His ideas on reason and rationalism influenced early modern philosophers like, L- I hope I read this right, René mm-hmm. Deschartes mm-hmm. and Baruch Spinoza, mm-hmm. who explored the relationship between reason and religion. Mm-hmm. Ibn Rushd's work, particularly his 
commentaries on Aristotle were studied by medieval Christian scholastic philosophers. His ideas on reason and faith had an impact on the development of scholastic thought in Western Europe. During the Renaissance, Ibn Rushd's writings were rediscovered and had a profound influence on European thinkers, mm -hmm. helpers to shape the intellectual climate of the time. Ibn Rushd's emphasis on reason and empiricism contributed to the intellectual climate that ultimately led to the scientific revolution in the 16th and the 17th century. His ideas are still are still studied uh, in philosophy today. So um, before we move on, mm -hmm. uh, we would like to listen to a uh, pre-record with one of our guests. The fact is that uh, knowledge leads to Allah, whether you call it religious or non-religious. And the apparent boundary between the religious knowledge and non-religious knowledge, in fact, does not exist. If you have a right bent of mind, then every knowledge is religious knowledge. Like the Holy Quran explains, so here both the religious and apparently material knowledge, I mean according to some terminology it's material knowledge, they are combined together as religious knowledge. Ulil al-Bab, those who have wisdom, their qualities have been described. Number one, they remember Allah, waking and sleeping, rising and sitting in every posture and every way at every time. And secondly, they keep pondering over the laws of nature. And when they ponder over the laws of nature, they direct them to the same Lord of which they were remembering any even before that. So they remain in the constant state of closeness to Allah, whether they are directly remembering Allah or pondering over the laws of nature, that is Allah's creation. So those, uh, the reflections upon the laws of nature, send them back to the Lord from where they had started this journey. So that means they can never travel away from Allah, whatever the nature of knowledge be, they are pursuing. So that is very important for Ahmadis to learn, that all knowledge is the knowledge of, of Allah, created by Allah. And if you have the right bent of mind, whatever branch of knowledge you are studying and pursuing would lead you to Allah. And then everything becomes religious knowledge. If on the other hand, somebody is pursuing religious knowledge, but it leads him away from Allah and uh, distorts his personality instead of improving it, then that knowledge is not religious knowledge at all. It is a profane knowledge. It has nothing to do with religion. So it all depends on how you look at knowledge. So it's my uh, hobby or pursuit from the childhood to learn as much as I can, although I have uh, not been able to do it as I should have wished. And uh, I am very imperfect in so many fields of knowledge, almost every field of knowledge. But 
I have a natural desire, a yearning, a hunger for knowing whatever Allah has created. So that should be the attitude of every Hamdi. Uh, welcome back to Voice of Islam uh, Drive Time Show uh, and we're discussing Ibn Rushd in the second hour. You can contact us on 0208-687-7878 that's 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK and just to correct myself mm-hmm. there, this wasn't a pre-record of a guest rather, mm-hmm. it was a pre-record or a rec- recording of mm-hmm. um, someone who we've been discussing very uh, in you know thoroughly in this mm-hmm. in this program. It was the fourth uh, successor, yeah. the fourth caliph of the Amdiya community, um, and his, uh, you know, his his pursuit and his mm. passion for knowledge. Mm-hmm. So Ibn Rushd believed that the study of philosophy was encouraged by the Quran, and as for those who strive in our path, we will surely guide them in our ways. And verily, Allah is with those who do good. Just to clarify, that was the Holy Quran twenty nine sixty nine. He wrote extensive commentaries on Aristotle's work. Uh, making them more accessible and comprehensible to Arabic-speaking scholars. His commentaries are considered classics of Islamic philosophy. Ibn Rush sought to reconcile Aristotelian philosophy with Islamic theology and ethics. He believed that the reason and philosophy could coexist, uh, believed that reason and philosophy could coexist with religion, contributing to the development of Islamic philosophical thought. His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, writes, The Quran manifestly acknowledges the role of rationality for the attainment of truth without drawing any separating line between religious or secular truths. Truth is the religion of Islam. Islam is the religion of truth. The truth requires no compulsion for the transmission of its message. Uh, the only instrument it needs is rationality, revelation, rationality, knowledge, and truth. That's uh, yeah. the. I just want to um, point out one of uh, um, the the philosophy of Ibn Rushd here. Yeah. I was um, basically listening one to one of uh, the podcast. Um, so in those days, there was a debate going on uh, that whether Allah, the Almighty. Uh, does everything yeah. or uh, it uses the mean or natural laws okay so ibn rushd there was uh, some other islamic scholars you mm-hmm. say or some other people um they used to believe that everything is allah Ta'ala is doing everything yeah. and his point of view uh, which he wrote in his book uh, incoherence of incoherence yeah. he he said he defended the great philosopher of aristotle in that book right. and uh, he said that uh, he believed that Allah Ta'ala is uh, is uh, basically control controlling the laws of the nature yep. but the, the, the he is not uh, doing everything directly mm-hmm. it it has uh, it contributed the laws of the nature to do that for example for instance uh, if cotton burns when touched by a fire yep. it's not a god it's actually god had put uh, the attributes into the cotton that it burns. So basically, okay. he he he's explained this philosophy yeah. that God Almighty is not doing everything directly. Right. It is the laws of laws of God Almighty is uh, is basically dictating the laws of the nature. Right. So, so this is as one point of view, uh, right. which he explains that at that time. I think it's very um, um, and people disagree with with Ibn Rushd on this or um, yes, yeah, so some believe uh, um, at that time it was a general. Um, uh, uh, thinking that you know, uh, he basically explained this this right. phenomenon or this uh, concept that everything is um, controlled by God. He said, 
it is everything is controlled by god right. but he uh, he basically controls the nature of the law right. not uh, control everything which is happening in the world uh, whether it's correct or not is another debate but uh, at that so time is is this more applicable to free will yes so free will isn't a uh, human free will you know that's the question that mm-hmm. you're asking right mm-hmm. so human free will and um, god's decree mm-hmm. uh, how much do they mm-hmm. correlate is your free will mm-hmm. preordained by god mm-hmm. you know um i'm sure ibn rushd would have mm-hmm. views on that right and, and so would other scholars but uh, ibn rushd engaged in debates with about casualty and the nature of the world which contributed to ongoing discussions within islamic philosophy ibn rushd's work played a role in preser- in preserving and transmitting classical greek philosophy to subsequent generations of scholars with the islamic world his writings and ideas influenced later islamic philosophers such as ibn taymiyah and ibn khaldun and contributed to the development of various schools of thought within islamic philosophy his contributions to islamic philosophy continue to be studied and debated and his emphasis on the compatibility of reason and faith has had a lasting impact on islamic intellectual traditions in the exposition of the methods of proof he proves uh, he proves the existence of god through two ideas one is providence which argues that the world and the universe seem finely tuned to support human life uh, which suggests a creator the other idea is invention which suggests uh, that all life points to the fact that it has been created and there must have been a, de- a designer behind this and it is too grand it is too grand to be purely coincidental so, so if you, i think if you if you think the the true method through which he proved the existence of god is actually taken from the holy quran mm-hmm. because in the holy quran allah the almighty says that ma tara fi khalqi rahman min tafawud farji al basar hal tara min futur summa arji al basar karratayn yankalib ilayk al basar khasi wa hasu wa huwa hasid that uh, if you look towards the creation of allah the almighty you will not find a single mistake or imperfection in the creation of god and then again look and ponder upon the creation of god you will not you will not find any imperfection in the yeah. creation of god so through that allah the almighty uh, explains that if this universe or this world is a is like a just a random or coincidence and yeah, then, then you cannot then there should be in uh, you know imperfection in mm-hmm. this world i think the same logic Uh, is is taken from the holy quran that uh, the the universe is is um, basically running with perfection and that that indicates that there is a creator yeah uh, you know this is 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 similar to the um, to the, vo- the 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 watch analogy as well you mm-hmm. know you know mm-hmm. uh, the, the perfection of a, a way mm-hmm. a watch mm-hmm. is so you know accurate with its movements and mm-hmm. it's uh, the way it's created um you know the way it's calibrated makes mm. you feel that you know this can this cannot be something which um was just randomly there okay it doesn't just, just didn't pop up okay mm-hmm. it, there has to be a creator similarly the universe itself and its uh, accuracy you know um i remember i had a great teacher who once said that you know if if something is even maybe 1 or 5 seconds late mm-hmm. in the universe it will create a complete disaster, disaster yeah. right, from a, from a physics mm. from a physics point of view mm. okay that's how much there is perfection mm. uh from a physics point of view and so i think uh, imam abu hanifa yeah. was also the one of the four um he was he's a leader of 
of uh, Islamic jurisprudence. You can say that yeah. most Muslim believe uh, he is the founder of jurisprudence. Uh, he also used this argument regarding the existence of God that he has a debate with an with an atheist, um, and uh, they decided to that we're going to have a debate on this certain day. Um, then the public came, and the the, the atheist also, you know, mm-hmm. uh, came for the debate. Uh, but Imam Abu Hanifa, he was late, mm. and um, um, then when uh, Imam Abu Hanifa came to debate this uh, this atheist, and he said that you, you call yourself a big scholar of Islam, uh, why are you late? Everyone, everyone's waiting for you. So he said uh, to him, so "Sorry, I'm very sorry, um, but uh, there is a river. Uh, I have to cross the ri- that river, but there was no ship there. So I was sitting there, and what I see that um, the tree cut down it by itself, mm. and it's make up make planks made a, and made a path for me. Yeah. And then uh, it, it that, that planks uh, automatically, um, you know, uh, sort themselves into a ship, yeah. and that ship sails towards me without any sailor. Yeah, yeah. And then I just set upon it, and then it just give it uh, right, across okay. I across the river. So um, he he laughed at Imam Abu Hanifa and said. Um, you call yourself a scholar then um but you're talking this you know this nonsense nonsense. and uh, then uh, imam abunifa replied that uh, you cannot uh, believe that a small ship can a small ship uh, made by itself that's how you can believe that this universe with stars and with with moon and sky and everything everything is made by itself So, anyways, <coughs> medicine. Ibn Rus contributed to the to the translation and commentary of classical Greek medical texts, particularly those of Galen and Hippocrates. These commentaries were translated into Latin and played a role in the development of medieval European medicine, influencing notable figures like Ibn Sina. He wrote commentaries on several medical works, including Galen's and Kitab al-Kanun, uh, Canon of Medicine, which is the foundational text in medi- medieval European and Islamic medicine. Ibn Rushd aimed to relate Greek medical knowledge with Islamic medical Tra- uh, translations which aided the developments of comprehensive medical system. His writings and commentaries contributed to the curriculum of medical education in the medi- uh, in the medieval Islamic world, helping to shape uh, the training of physicians. Ibn Rushd advocated for an empirical approach to medicine, encouraging observation and experimentation as essential components of medical practice. He also made contributions to pharm- pharmacology, including discussions of the properties and uses of various medicinal substances in regards to logic Ibn Rushd believed that the demonstrative reasoning was the most reliable and that logic was a fundamental tool for philosophers to develop their arguments and establish a rationale basis uh, for their beliefs demonstrative reasoning is when an argument establishes a conclusion whose negation is uh, a contradiction Ibn Rushd mm-hmm. made a distinction between theoretical logic which is focused on the structure of valid arguments and practical logic which mm-hmm. is concerned with the use of reasoning in practical matters he criticized some aspects of Avicenna's interpretation of Aristotle's logic mm-hmm. particularly the concept of existence and uh, syllogistic reasoning Mm -hmm. his works on logic continue to be studied and referenced in the fields of philosophy he sought to reconcile Aristotelian logic with Islamic philosophy and theology arguing that reason and logic were compatible with Islamic belief tell us about jurisprudence truly so he wrote commentaries on various um, uh, legal texts including um, those of the Maliki school of Islamic jurisprudence he was um, prevalent in Andalus um, and uh, he introduced the concept of uh, 
uh, is istisan, uh, mm-hmm. which is the form of uh, juristic uh, decision based on equity and the public good as a mean of adopting Islamic law to changing circumstances. Ibn Rushd advocated for the use of uh, qiyas uh, or analogical reasoning in judiciary, which involves uh, extending legal rulings from established um, precedents to new cases that are not explicitly uh, addressed in the Holy Quran or Hadith. His works, particularly his commentaries on legal uh, tax influence later Islamic Egyptians, including those in the Maghrib and the Levant. However, his ideas on Egyptians, reason, and the relationship between law and ethics also had a lasting influence on Western legal thought, contributing to discussion on natural law and the legal philosophy in the West. So in conclusion, Ibn Rushd was a key figure in the Islamic Golden Age who revitalized Aristotelian philosophy and emphasized the harmony uh, and the reason of faith. Uh, His works in rationality, medicine and jurisprudence are still having an influence on Islamic and Western society. Exalted then is Allah the true king and and be not impatient for Qur'an's ere its revelation is completed unto thee uh, but only say O my Lord increase me in my knowledge so with that comes to a conclusion of today's drive time show I would like to thank our producers for the Hmm. program today Uh, for the first hour it was uh, Sabiha Tariq and uh, the second hour Aiza Ribani I would also like to thank our um, you know uh, the Tahir Tahir Sahib and um, our staff there 